0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, wherever we are. You are, we all are, as we used to say down south. We used to live in the south once. Oh, that was an interesting experience in the 1950s. Wow. Anyway, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight, the show that keeps making extraordinary out of the box predictions, and they come true. If you caught our show last night, you know that we've got a rover on Mars, a nifty, spiffy, incredibly new 21st century rover loaded for bear. Are there bears on Mars? And it's got 23 cameras. To say nothing of all kinds of other really nifty gadgets, which are going to get a workout, including a little four pound, you know, four pounds of sugar um, weight. Helicopter called Ingenuity Uh, That's going to be Kind of part of some of our discussion Tonight as a kind of a lead in To what I believe uh, In terms of my scenario playing The next step in This bizarre Disclosure soap opera we're going Through I mean why can't they just Bite the bullet and just Do it remember the Nike commercial Just do it I mean even even the uh, Musk interview with Rogan that we talked about was so incredibly timid. I mean, come on, Elon. You know, one week he's saying on Twitter that he's an alien. And the next week he's saying to Rogan, well, but I don't think Hoagland, I'm paraphrasing now. You know, Hoagland's right at all about the uh, monuments of Mars. In fact, he's probably schizophrenic. Uh, It was an extraordinary, bizarre episode with Rogan talking about me showing the book and trying to get Musk to admit there's something interesting on Mars. And yet when the conversation shifted, I'm paraphrasing what we talked about last night, and we played some clips, so they're they're on last night's show. If you're a member of Club 19.5, you will have an extremely interesting time listening. Anyway, then their conversation shifted, this is on the Rogan show, to talking about E.T. cultures and civilizations on planets circling other stars. And suddenly both of them couldn't say enough about ancient Babylonians and Akkadians and, you know, Indian civilizations, Mayans and inscriptions on stones and stone buildings. and pyram- In other words, everything in that conversation was projected away from this solar system, in particular, this planet, which is going to that planet. And has now gone with the new robot, which has landed amid ruins. And before we got on the air, one of my panelists tonight asked a very honest question. How do you know? And I said, paraphrasing Sagan, simply look at the geometry. Remember Sagan's dictum. Intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the intelligent In the the geometric regularity of its designs, the only way you can know in our current paradigm where we create rectilinear things, not swirly, swoopy, much more convoluted architectures, the only way we can know looking down on another planet from a satellite or flying by is if there's regular geometry down there. Now, will true alien, alien, aliens, will they build the same way we do? Maybe not. Maybe not. Which will make discovering their existence on their planets when we get that far very much a different order of magnitude than we have in looking at the stuff on Mars. Because the stuff on Mars, in really, really, really bad shape, Looks an awful lot like the stuff on Earth that's in really, really, really bad shape. I'm talking structures, engineering, architecture. And that is one of the leading indicators that maybe the stuff on Mars was not built whenever, you know, in the past history of the solar system, Mars was occupied by quote aliens, but maybe someone much, much, much closer related to us. That's the subject of, of the book we're working on, and perseverance is obviously, from its first image, going to provide us with stunning additional data, and wait till they launch the helicopter. OK, let's start with the news. Uh, if you go to the other side of midnight.com, that's our website, click on that, regardless of how you're listening to us. Uh, go click on that banner. Tonight, which says, because it's kind of an interesting connection we're trying to to talk about tonight. It says, how the Texas weather catastrophe and the imminent UFO disclosure are related. Because they are. Anyway, click on that banner. That will take you to tonight's guest page. Uh, there are fast links under the banner for me, for Stephen, for Joe, for Don. Um, that's Stephen Bassett, uh, Dr. Joseph Bookman and Don Ecker, and we'll get to them and how the extraordinary experience of Texas is, in fact, intimately related to the ongoing behind-the-scenes with little snippets on the front page of the New York Times UFO disclosure, which is proceeding apace even now. It's just not like rolling off a cliff, which, of course, you can't do because what are governments terrified of? instability instability so anyway we'll have a long interesting discussion about that um going down on on the guest page if you scroll down you know a little bit uh, or you click on the fast links to my items this is a reprise of a of an item i i um, uh, talked about last night united flight to uh, 328 left the uh, afternoon from denver headed for hawaii and Almost at cruising altitude, their right-hand engine on the 777 exploded and all kinds of metal, cowlings, fan blades, insulation. I mean, it it was stunning what fell to the ground and killed no one, injured no one, thank God. But for the passengers on board, I mean, imagine being on a flight heading for gorgeous Hawaii, And suddenly, you look out the window after this incredible bang. It was actually described as a boom. And you look out the window, and your entire right engine is on fire. Well, someone on the plane, many people actually because of smartphones, shot video in what I'm sure they thought was their last moments above the Earth. And some of that video is present in that link. It's stunning. I mean, yet... They all landed safely. They all, you know, weathered the storm. They all got on another flight, or at least almost all of them. I'm sure some of them did not go. And they wound up in Hawaii where they were trying to get to in the first place. The reason this story has resonance is because basically it's a story on the failure of infrastructure. Now, whether it's on an airplane or on a power grid Or on a water distribution plant, if you don't take appropriate engineering steps, when the worst thing happens, if you haven't properly guaranteed no single point failure in your architecture, in your infrastructure, you can die. And that's what item number one is all about. Item number two, um, there is, of course, this extraordinary, uh, certainly US-wide, and maybe I haven't done a lot of digging yet, uh, worldwide Uh, dichotomy about the the vaccines and the whole COVID-19 thing. There is a large contingent of people, and I know many of them, total rational, well-meaning with humanity in front of them as their guidepost, who are absolutely convinced that the entire COVID-19 thing is a hoax, it's been planned, it's to make money, it's to chip people, it's to do everything but just solve an extraordinary once-in-a-hundred-year health crisis. And that is a discussion that is worth having, but it's only worth having when you have the proper expertise assembled to deal with it at a professional scientific level. Reading things on the Internet does not qualify. Original sources are absolutely demanded, particularly when life and death are at stake. So we are taking our time to put together a uh, a one of probably more than one uh, vaccine shows. Um, I have feelers out to certain individuals, experts, doctors, and immunologists. Uh, And the problem is, of course, schedules. And there's extreme political sensitivity around this subject. Gosh, I wonder why. Anyway, this story out of Israel is very interesting because it matches data that I've seen from other sources, from South Africa, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Russia, from China. Um, These vaccines, in addition to preventing you from, you know, most of the time, and the efficacies range from 60% up to 95%, they not only prevent you from getting this thing and exhibiting gross symptoms, in other words, becoming very ill, but it turns out that they provide An extraordinary level of effectiveness in preventing you from dying or even going in the hospital and having severe, you know, complications like winding up on a respirator, which for a lot of people has been a death sentence. So this is a very complex health, public policy, political, and even consciousness discussion. And we're going to do it when we're ready uh, we're working on some things behind the scenes, and when we're ready, we will announce it. And I'm sure it's going to be a very um, controversial and contentious show because opinions have hardened. Um, there's extraordinary political agendas out there that uh, I'm not seen for a very long time. I'm not just talking about the so-called you know anti vaxxer crowd. that's been they've been with us for a very long time. In fact, Robin, was definitely against vaccines. The key question, of course, is why was she against vaccines? And then you have to explore how were vaccines produced historically going back literally thousands of years. You know, vaccines are not a modern invention. They go back to India. They go back to certainly, you know, the 1700s, if not long before. So the history of vaccination is part of this discussion as well as the stunning change in the production of vaccines now compared to any previous eras. And with that comes more controversy and discussion. So just kind of look at that and obviously at the moment you have to do your own research, you have to do your own thinking, you have to do your own, you know, decision making about you and your family and People who are at risk, you know, in your extended family, or if you know people over 65 or 70 or whatever, that is a discussion that's certainly worth having, but not before it's time, before the data has been assembled. And the longer we look at the globe and we look at this pattern of reaction to the vaccines and to the disease itself, the more certain our conclusions are based on an accumulating database. The one thing I will say up front is our discovery, which is now confirmed by the group, both in, uh, at the University of Illinois and also in Israel, that there's this extraordinary seven-day repeating sawtooth pattern up, down, up, down, as regular as a metronome in the number of people dying worldwide On a given day, and then the next day, the deaths are a third or a half, and then seven days later, they're up again. In other words, you have this incredible, regular, resonant rhythm to death from COVID on planet Earth, and no one yet has adequately explained how this can be, let alone how, if that's the background, if that's what really is driving the health of millions of people around the world, how if you're inserting fake data in that system, who in their right mind would fake that kind of data? I mean, it wouldn't occur to anybody to introduce a regular seven-day cycle into deaths from a disease which is claimed to be a hoax. It just makes zero sense because it would call attention to the fact that something was abnormal. And if you're trying to sell something, the fact you do not want your, you know, marks, your customers, the rubes to figure out something is wrong. And a rhythmic seven day fluctuating pattern. And I didn't put the graph up there and I probably should after the show uh, for the Club 19.5 folks. This is so out of any normal medical history that I have ever encountered, that any medical professionals have ever encountered, it begs for some serious science and answers. And my, my intuition is, if we crack this, we crack a part of the mystery of death on Earth itself. And that's not a trivial um, exploration. Okay, moving on. Um, I want to talk tonight about infrastructure and how primitive, you know, Earth technologies really are compared to what we have been given a glimpse of in the so-called unidentified flying object phenomenon or the current term UAP, unidentified uh, aerial phenomenon. You know, when in doubt, rebrand something. Because of this polar vortex bringing all this incredible super cold air all the way down to Texas. I mean, here in New Mexico, it was zero for several nights, two or three nights. Um, And fortunately, we're kind of one cut above Texas. Our pipes didn't burst. Uh, I have power in most of the house, except for this damn studio where I plugged in a heater and blew everything and couldn't find the GIF. Well, long soap opera, never mind. Point is, the folks in Texas who were totally unprepared have suffered extraordinary problems because no one seemed to think ahead. Actually, that's not true. A lot of people thought ahead, but the political system and the non-existent regulatory system and the um, greed of the power and other utility providers literally left millions of people uh, at basically risk of... Severe health crises and or death. I don't know how many people have died now in Texas of carbon monoxide poisoning, just trying to stay warm, or hypothermia. They died literally from freezing to death, even under 20 blankets or something, or are now suffering incredible damage to their homes and where they have to live because no one told them simply go out to the street and turn off the water before it gets to the house. No one apparently oh, – there's one plumber that I saw who did a YouTube video showing people how to do that. But the, the the lack of investment, the lack of preparation, the lack of warning by all levels of Texas political infrastructure is really a a cautionary tale of how the planet is really at death's door almost every minute if we make the wrong set of decisions – because it's based on outdated, antiquated knowledge of science and application of technology. What if all those people, poor million plus, who suddenly suffered without power, what if they had a unit the size of a bread box in their basement that simply provided them point source power of almost any amount and there was no utility and no wires? and no transmission lines and no public utility and no greedy energy companies to make them dependent on a central source of energy. Is that fantasy? Is that science fiction? Is that projection? No, that comes directly out of the last 70-some years of research into unidentified flying objects and the discovery of parallel deep black programs run by, among others, the U.S. government to develop these technologies in secret but never allow them to come to market. That's the basis of why I want to talk about UFO disclosure because the one huge immediate benefit in my scenario playing of disclosing the reality of these vehicles, the folks inside them, the civilizations they come from is the fact that Earth is the backward, backward cousin on the block, curtailed and constrained by deliberate intention to remain at the level of a relatively primitive global civilization. And if that does not change, we will not be here, period. The trend curves are all in the wrong Direction. Item number four. One of the uh, things that may change this is the fact that we have a rover tonight on Mars which has landed amid ruins, ancient ruins on a lake bed. Gosh, why would one expect not to find ruins on the shore and the floor of a dying lake at some point in, you know, environmentally evolving history, both of Earth and Mars? We have all kinds of examples here on Earth, Lake Bacal. As it's kept shrinking, more and more archaeological ruins have been found under formerly underwater uh, along the Mississippi River when they have uh, uh, severe droughts. Um, and sometimes with floods, you get this uh, removal of the overburden and suddenly you find the remains of ancient structures. Well, why should Mars be any different given how Earth-like previous missions by NASA and others now discovered and affirmed of course like the i think it's the red queen in alice in wonderland nasa is perfectly willing to project you know ancient life billions of years in the past um but never now or never in the future so we're going to grapple with a bit of that item number five based on our conversation of you know the ruins detected by perseverance last night item number five is a direct link to the NASA Raw Image Archive, you will find every image released within hours of being downlinked now, just like the NASA's done with Curiosity. And for all you folks out there who actually pride yourself on being good amateur sleuths and computer savvy and image conscious and able to use things like Photoshop or PaintShop Pro or some other more sophisticated programs, they give you all the images with the various filters so you can assemble from the raw data your own imagery and thereby check with access to original sources the validity of both everything NASA's saying and maybe even more important for our discussion, everything we're saying and claiming. Um, Mr. Rogan's opinion of me notwithstanding. All right. Item number six. Um, This is just stunning. Uh, As the new technology lowered the Perseverance rover to the surface uh, on the afternoon of the 18th, they got a series of stunning shots, stills and video from up to 25 cameras that are now placed around uh, this spacecraft, particularly if you count what was in the uh, uh, kind of rocket powered backpack that lowered um, uh, Perseverance to the surface on the Sky crane technique uh, And we're supposed to Tomorrow morning At noon uh, Pacific time see, Am I right about that? No, I'm wrong 11 o'clock Pacific time um, 10 o'clock my time I believe I gotta go check that Anyway, if you go to that website The press conference schedule uh, Will come up at the NASA site So you can check me on that uh, I, I, I think it's 11 o'clock Pacific Noon, my time, yes, and 10 o'clock uh, Eastern. That press conference, which will have accumulated more color imaging, maybe mass cam super high resolution imaging from a set of cameras, which literally have, I believe, 10 to 1 zoom functions now on this rover mission. And they claim they can see something uh, like the size of a fly few millimeters across, little flies out there. We're mentioning you. You get a kind of a sound off. Um, at the end, the other end of a football field. So they're claiming with the zoom, they can see a fly from 300 feet away. Well, those ruins out to the left and up toward the right near the uh, ridge uh, that actually is a much closer horizon There may be a quarter mile away, something like that. So just do the math. You know, 300 feet multiplied by 10. So we'll be able to see objects the size of 10 flies lined up end to end. I mean, this is going to be an amazing mission. And it's kind of hard to see, given the proliferation of these ancient lake bed ruins that we're in the middle of, how NASA can possibly continue to ignore A global audience looking on in countries, in cultures that are not constrained and will, like uh, that great line from, what was it, David Copperfield? Can I have more, sir, please? So, this should be the beginning of an extraordinary, intriguing discussion. Now, item number five, I'm sorry, seven, uh, Ron uh, Gerbron, one of our imaging specialists, did his own enhanced version of the first released uh Percy image and that's up there as item number seven again he applied some different filtering techniques which tend to bring out large-scale structure geometry and suppress the small-scale stuff which can be you know lost in the noise and you will clearly see if you enlarge that and then zoom in in any kind of imaging program those are rectilinear foundations of ancient buildings. I guarantee you, if you know any architects or construction guys in your neighborhood, take one of these pictures. Don't tell them where it was shot. Just show them the picture. Zoom in on those rectilinear ruins and say, what do you think of this? What what do you think this could be? I guarantee you, if you tell them it's on Earth or you don't tell them anything, they'll say, Oh, those are ruins. Those are foundation thingies. If you wind up telling them that it's on Mars, their attitude on a lot of them will change completely and they'll suddenly maybe even pretend not to know you. <laughs> I'm being a little extreme here, but the, the context of where data is taken, where it comes from, is as important to deciding on truth, I've discovered over my many years doing this, as the data itself. Context is everything, which, of course, can be extrapolated to more than looking for ruins on Mars or on the moon or on the outer moons of, of Jupiter, whatever. It applies to all questions of how do we ultimately decide on reality or, as I've said many times, the science of epistemology or the science of how do we know what we No Well it's not exactly that easy Particularly in a field where A lot of what we think we know Is being deliberately fed to us As carefully manufactured Lies What is it they say about war The first casualty is truth Well as we're going to get into Later this morning We're going to talk about Are we at war Are we actually in a secret war Anyway last item number eight these are the Percy has cam shots in high def in large compared raw data to um, enhanced data where some processing has been applied. Here you will see the fine scale geometry and I guarantee you it is going to make you reevaluate what might be on Mars and the context for the rest of our discussion this evening. You are on the other side of midnight. We've come down to the bottom. We're in a break. You're on the other side of midnight. My guests I will introduce after the break. I kind of want to leave you with this because this is going to characterize the discussion for the rest of the evening. Enjoy. <laughs> Calling occupants of interplanetary Most extraordinary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary
1: clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events
0: tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news other side of the news can be heard here, on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, 2 hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. My guests this morning are Steve Bassett, um, Joe Bookman, Dr. Joseph Bookman, and Don Ecker. And if you want to go to The Other Side of Midnight to the guest page, uh, click on the past links to their bios. You can see every one of them has extensive background in the field we're going to discuss tonight. Steve Bassett is executive director and founder of the Paradigm Research Group. You can find about all the other things he's done, if you could just go to his bio. Uh, Joe Bookman has earned a PhD in media from Indiana University, an MBA in finance from Purdue, and has had tenure as an associate professor of marketing and finance. He's also been past chair of the Libertarian Party of Utah. And like Steve Bassett, he ran for Congress on, among other things, the UFO issue. And in fact, tonight, guys, we probably should get into a bit of, you know, your personal experiences, because the, the 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 political environment then, when you did that pioneering thing, and the political environment now, I think are very, very different. So that's part of what we're going to talk about. Finally, last but not least, I'm not doing these in alphabetical order, as you'll notice. Don Ecker and I have known each other forever and ever and ever and ever. I knew his wife before she was his wife, uh, Vicky. Um, he is a writer, a researcher, a commentator. He currently lives in the L.A. area. He was bragging as we were having sub-zero temperatures here. Oh, it was 73 degrees in L.A. today. <clears throat> Not good form. Anyway, he served as former director of research and media liaison for UFO magazine for 20 years. And he is internationally known As an investigator, a real investigator of the UFO phenomenon, because he is a former law enforcement officer, a criminal investigator with over 10 years of experience, and he was one of the guys I turned to. In fact, he was the key guy when I was trying to find an original copy of the Brookings Report, which will, I'm sure, come up tonight in conversation. So, uh, gentlemen, first of all, let me welcome you all to the other side of Midnight.
1: It's well, good to thank be back. you, Dick.
0: Okay, Don, you're a little low. If we can, maybe you have to go into your settings and turn up your game. How about it's, this? It's not on AGC. That's better. That's better. Okay, um, we're all, you know, <laughs> what, what what's that term? Um, um, uh, Battle scarred veterans of this extraordinary effort to get to the simple truth of who the hell are we on planet Earth and who out there wants to talk to us or is related to us or might come and visit us, et cetera, et cetera. I want to start with Don tonight because the key reason we're having this discussion has to do with a New York Times front page story in December of 2017, just weeks after Donald Trump was elected 45th president of the United States. And that New York Times gray lady story basically broke the news that one of the American carrier battle groups decades before, well, maybe not decades, but maybe a decade and a half or something like that, you'll give me the exact number, had encounters, repeated encounters with vehicles, craft that could go from 80,000 feet, that's the stratosphere, to just above the deck, the ocean surface, in seconds. And this was not just observed On instrumentation, it was observed observed close up and personal by F-18 pilots, whose first-person stories became the backbone of what seems to be the current rolling disclosure effort by the Pentagon. And a key name in all of this is a guy named Alejandro. Turns out that Don Ecker has been in touch with Alejandro. I don't think, Stephen, you have directly. I don't think... I know I haven't. I don't think Joseph has. So, Don, I want you to take point on this. Tell us about your conversations with, with Ella. is it Alejandro or Alejandro? Luis Alejandro. Uh Uh-huh. So tell us what you found out from talking to one of the guys in the middle of the storm.
1: Well, here's the problem. The problem being that he and... A number of other people that were involved in the To the Stars Academy, uh, with the exception of uh, the Blink-184 guy, Tom DeLong, all had extensive government involvement. Alejandro was uh, in the Pentagon. Christopher Mellon was uh, one of the other major players, the Undersecretary of State for Intelligence, Hal off and his extensive background, and uh, the one of the chief engineers from uh, the Lockheed Skunk Works. Now, over the years, I've dealt with, because of what we were doing, publishing UFO magazine, I banged heads, literally, with people in and without the Pentagon, NASA, the extensive professional skeptic, Community and uh, trying to get anything out of these guys has been an exercise in futility. (laughs) So, when this happened, okay, and it finally became public, and on the heels of that, Senator, the former Senator Harry Reid, the uh, senior senator from the state of Nevada, held a press conference where he stated on the record that he and two other congressional uh, members were instrumental in securing approximately twenty-two million dollars, which, in the scheme of things, is barely even a drop in the bucket.
0: But, well, my metaphor always has been, you know, it's coffee money for a week at NASA.
1: Uh, well, maybe a half a week, but <laughs> but but they they pumped this money into a program. Uh, at the Pentagon to examine unidentified aerial phenomena? Is it a threat? Now, on the heels of all of this, the History Channel ran a couple of seasons of a television program called Unidentified with the primary people in the To the Stars Academy, one of them being Luis Alejandro. Now, I, I was able to get in touch with him, and I had, believe me, I had a lot of questions, um, through a, a mutual friend of ours. And uh, as a matter of fact, he was supposed to call me this weekend, and I have yet to uh, hear back from him. But he was supposed to call me uh, to discuss Is he someone something. who
0: wants to remain in the background, or could we name him?
1: What? your source our mutual friend Oh my friend. my mutual friend Uh yeah I I can certainly name him he doesn't have any heartburn with that Tracy Torme
0: Oh who is the son of the infamous very famous incredibly talented
1: uh Mel Torme the Velvet Fox. The, the
0: the the singer
1: Right right and actor and a whole lot mm-hmm. of other things but uh and the guy incidentally that uh Is the author of one of the most beloved holiday Christmas songs ever, "The Christmas Song," chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, I I spoke with Alejandro on a number of occasions, and uh, he has been working diligently. And I asked him the thing that I was most give
0: give a thumbnail sketch on the background of this individual. All right, for those we have new audience constantly, so we can't assume anything
1: sure sure he was a uh, an operative with the department of defense he had a background in uh, confidential activities and if you know anything about the military and confidential activities that can encompass a whole range of things but he was uh one of the lead people on the atip program where they were investigating uh, this now one of wait, the wait, things
0: a tip being the acronym for this twenty two million dollar program that Reed got money for exactly yes and what was the full name of it
1: oh Dick you're putting me on the spot now <laughs>
0: Steve <laughs> you can join me... in anytime uh, you I,
1: want. I I just I just basically went with a tip uh, anybody in in the field knows you know knows what that was by now. Uh, it's been going on now four years, or almost four years.
0: I guarantee you, the general public doesn't care a damn about acronyms in the government. Yeah, they just want results. So, ATIP had to do with
1: uh, investigating, Steve. investigating the UAP unidentified aerial phenomena uh, phenomenon that is ongoing out there, and uh, of course, most mainstream media. Uh, Television and newspapers, news magazines, although they're becoming rarer and rarer these days, uh, very, very seldom ever cover this. But nonetheless, the uh, aerial activities of this phenomenon are ongoing at a tremendous rate.
0: You mean right now?
1: Right now, every day. And uh, down here in California, for example.
0: Hang on a second. That's very curious because after the New York Times published this story on this program and had web links to real Navy F-18 footage, video, it kind of gave permission to the mainstream to look at the UFO phenomenon in a very different light. If there's all kinds of stuff going on after the gray lady kind of gave the mainstream permission to think the unthinkable why do you think it's not part of mainstream news coverage, given what you just said?
1: Well, it's very simple. The media has been, has been conditioned for well over 70 years to basically, number one, either ignore this story, which arguably may be one of the greatest stories in human history, or number two, laugh at it which they've done successfully for those 70-plus years. Okay. Okay, okay. and until before, like, such time...
0: See, what I would, what I would, would add to that What I, as a counterpoint is maybe the establishment perspective on this developing story, this developing disclosure, is not monolithic. Maybe there are warring empires within the military-industrial complex... Well,
1: that's what I was trying to get to. Okay, okay. Okay, because there is, according to what I was told by Louise, there is another group within the uh, Department of Defense that... And this is going to sound very strange. (laughs) Okay, very strange. But... They view the UAP or UFO phenomenon as something that is demonic, something from the what? nether regions. Yeah, there's a group in there that's known collectively by its moniker, the Collins Elite. And these individuals, uh, whether they are fundamentalist Christian or whatever, I do not know. I've never I've never interfaced with any of them, but they they are there. They are still, to this day, bound and determined to keep this entire phenomenon under wraps, under close wraps. Uh, quite frankly, it terrifies them to no end. They see it as a demonic deception coming in the guise of extraterrestrials. Now, as crazy as that sounds... That's simply the fact of the matter. So, yes, you are correct when you say that there are probably at least two conflicting factions that are that are uh, wrestling with this thing.
0: Well, wait, hang on, hang on. I would say there are three. All right. There's the UFO group, pro and con, as you just described. And then there's our group, (laughs) if I may be so bold, the artifact crowd who say from the evidence from NASA and the other space agencies, with well, the solar system littered with remains of civilizations, including ancient ones, and with emissaries like Mua coming into the solar system for the first time on clearly, unquestionably interstellar trajectories from beyond the nursery.
1: Well, and I people, see, I saw more as a reconnaissance craft.
0: Okay, hang on, hang on. I want to get to Abby Loeb, because then... Into that whole discussion, which used to be our discussion and now is broadened, you have no less than a mainstream figure like Abby Loeb, director of the Harvard Astrophysical Observatory, the same chair that Donald Menzel, who was a, an avowed CIA secret agent, a double agent on the whole UFO thing in the 50s and 60s, you have his successor now writing a book that this object, Amuamua, was in fact the first of many, many ancient artificial objects built by some civilizations, flooding the galaxy in his model. There have to be trillions of them, again, in the constraints of his model. So you've got three legs to this stool, arguing, A, it's all real, but one of them arguing, oh my God, don't touch it with a 20,000 foot pole, and the dichotomy between these three groups is very interesting because we've never had this open a discussion at any time in this field of ET
1: activity before. So go ahead. Yeah, well, as far as Omoa Omoa is concerned, I I had suspected from the beginning when at first that story first broke. Its trajectory obviously coming in from outside of our solar system in astronomical terms skimming past the earth okay mm-hmm. and accelerating as it left earth's vicinity uh i suspected from the very beginning that this was a recon craft something to come in perhaps test the electronic uh, uh wave as it came passing exactly what uh, was going on here Um, I don't think that was manned, I think it was robotic Hang on, hang on
0: Because no less an agency than NASA Actually backs you up in this hypothesis Do you know how? Apart from Abby Loeb, who's a separate guy NASA itself, which discovered a Muamua At one of its major observatories in Hawaii The the Pan-STARRS telescope Which is basically sky mapping reconnaissance ongoing program. They found this object. And within a few days, the the astronomers at PanSTARS who realized they had something really amazing on their hands, they wanted to give it a name. And because they were in Hawaii, they looked at Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian mythology, Hawaiian uh, you know, lexicography, and they decided on the name of Muamua which NASA then put out a press release saying mua means scout, you know, first scout or something like that. One of our guys on our imaging team, the Enterprise Mission imaging team, Keith Laney, actually goes, went to an original source, the Hawaiian Dictionary, and he found, oh, no, 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 NASA's only telling you part of the truth because if you actually look at the dictionary in Hawaii of the Hawaiian people, Amuamua is the first scout of a war party. So NASA, in imprinting the name, adopted the motif that this object was not just a neutral E.T. reconnaissance, but it was the first of a group of, you know, what, battle cruisers or something right out of Star Wars? Because you don't name an object a scout of a war party if you don't think there's a war party behind them. So that has been imprinted on the official uh, apprehension of what this object was. Go ahead.
1: So to get back to uh, to Luis Elizondo, when uh, we chatted, as a matter of fact, the very first time I chatted with him, I asked him, I said, you know, the one thing I've noticed on your television series that was running on the uh, History Channel. Each episode had one very distinctive theme to it. It was a constant drumbeat. They kept pushing the concept of a potential threat. Yep. Now, as I watched this, okay, and I really examined who the, the principal people were on that program, especially... Uh, the former Under Secretary of State for Intelligence, Christopher Mellon. I came to the conclusion, and I I asked him specifically. I said, "Look, I put on my cop hat, my detective hat. Okay, I really did some deep thinking and consideration about this, and I came to a conclusion, Lou, that number one, you guys are suggesting." because perhaps you have extensive knowledge you're not talking about, that there is a potential threat coming down the road toward us. Or, here's the other thing, this would be one of the most extensive and one of the most dramatic uh, disinformation programs I've ever I've ever laid eyes on. I said, "Now look, why do I?" Trying
0: basically, sorry to interrupt. Trying basically to condition us ahead of first contact.
1: God only knows. Okay, these things can be so deep, so dark, and so convoluted, uh, Dick. There's, there's no way of knowing. But I said, in all my years that I've been involved in this, and it's over three decades now.
0: Well, wait, wait. Didn't you just say that one group believes they're satanic, which means they think? We're dealing with satanic forces.
1: Yeah, but I'm not talking about them.
0: Okay, you're talking talking about the mainstream
1: group. Okay, okay, good. I'm talking about the Two the Stars Academy group. I said in all my years that I've dealt with the Pentagon, I've dealt with NASA, I've dealt with others. I have never got anybody on the record as rarefied as what Christopher Mellon is and was to come forward in a pro ufo type position i said this is unheard of unheard of it's never happened at least not on the record ever so with that being said what's the story do you guys really see that there may be a potential threat or and i i knew i wouldn't get a straight answer when i (laughs) when i added this on or might this be something else covering up something else and he 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 basically said, "Well, we we've considered that it could be a threat." And when you look at the Nimitz battle group from two thousand and four, and in that roughly same time period, the battle group that encountered objects off of the east coast of the United States, uh, there are a lot of people that are very concerned about was, that. Was, now,
0: was was hang on, was that the Roosevelt battle group? Yes.
1: So, now, with that all being said, the Navy, okay, and we all know that, or we should know, that the Navy has one of the finest intelligence services of any military group. They go back practically a century, okay, naval intelligence.
0: Well, John Kennedy was out of the naval intelligence group.
1: Jack Kennedy? Yes well that that's very possible i know no he commanded no, no it's absolutely people. true
0: no it's a historical fact record
1: okay great but that but that doesn't answer another question i had and that was where in the hell has been the united states air force for all the years that the ufo program up through the colorado university study group all the way through that into the into the 70s and the early 80s you're it's talking always... about those
0: programs like grudge i always thought that name was so provocative or blue book
1: yes yes they were the they were the very early there was project first one was saucer mm-hmm. then grudge then blue book the air force has always been on the forefront and they've always been the ones trying to dampen this fire where in the hell have they been since this broke and they've been suspiciously.
0: You're talking about right. the New York times, December 27th. I'm
1: talking, I'm talking about the Nimitz battle group. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Oh
0: yeah. But wouldn't the air force and the Navy at you know, going back to the history of the space program, be at odds. I mean, the Navy would not want the air force involved in that at all. You're right. They sense. hate each other.
1: They yeah. all hate each other. Yeah. The army hates the Navy. The <laughs> Navy hates the air force. Yeah. Yeah, that's you gonna it folks
0: first, first tonight, okay.
1: That's the way it's always been.
0: Well, that's why well, Eisenhower had to create a NASA to bring semi-peace to this incredible warring between the agencies. Forget the Russians. You know, all the services back during the Sputnik era were aiming their guns at each other and not at the Russians.
1: Yeah, well, it's been one of those things where the in, the service rivalry between the various branches is very intense. But— where has the Air Force been? They have been totally quiet. But who was it that went out to the Nimitz battle group and covertly picked up all those tapes that the F 18 pilots and the, the uh, what was that uh, intelligence ship? The uh, Princeton, I believe. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that they gathered during these encounters were collected covertly by Air Force personnel. Mm-hmm. And very, nobody has seen it since very
0: interesting
1: and Commander Fravor, okay, who was the one of the uh the lead squadron commander that encountered those uh I watched him
0: i i'd say what hang on because we're coming up to the top of the hour. This is too good to miss my guests this morning are Don ecker, Steve bassett, Joe Bookman, and we're discussing the full panoply of um What's going on? Are we, in fact, involved in the final official admission that we're not alone, that we live in a sea of other cultures, other technologies, other visitors? And are they a threat? Are they all a threat? Are only some of them a threat? Is it right to perceive, if you're part of the U.S. military as your first line of defense, that you're very suspicious, you're You're looking for some kind of threat-level assessment? We'll get into all of this tonight on our UFO Disclosure Program on the Other Side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, the other theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed That contains these enhanced show recordings and you'll be able to download the mp3 files directly from the archive if you prefer as a club 19.5 member you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports we'll be adding exclusive new features to club 19.5 as we go forward and boy have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks so please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.